These first two um, Sundays of Advent are still, we're still hearing John the Baptist prepare the way of the Lord. And uh, it depends on which Sunday we're using, but we are hopefully preparing a way for the Lord in our hearts in the, in the midst of these quickly passing four weeks of Advent that are all often stuffed with other things to do. But yet our hearts are longing for something more. You know, you see people rushing around buying things and doing things, or some, some are grieving, as I said before. But we're all trying to fill a hole that can't be filled on earth by anything, ultimately. Nothing is adequate for a heart that's made for eternity. No home is sufficient for a home that is meant, uh, that isn't another place. We're not home. And we're all, we're all on a journey, whether we know it or not. So these people in the, in the gospel here are headed to the desert to hear John the Baptist. I wanted to just explain this, this icon. We, it's, it's nice to have these new projectors because we can actually put something up there you can see in the daytime, working on some nice clip art or something to fill it, to use now that we have the ability again before masses, different, different things for different seasons. This particular icon, I have a copy of it because it's only been one of my favorites. Uh, a a uh, nun I've known for decades uh, gave it to me for Christmas without knowing it was one of my favorites. So I have, this is the largest one Mount Angel sells of it. It was, um, uh, an icon is not painted or drawn, it's called written, and it was written by, uh, by Brother Claude, who also did our uh, St. Edward over here to the left, uh, which was done preceding the building of the new church. Anybody of you that have been, come since then. This uh, particular icon, I haven't anybody yet uh, that's, that remembers this. Where did this first hang? Anybody know where, what church this was commissioned for? Hmm? You, you actually know the answer to this? You'll be the first one. No, that's cheating. She was here last night. You get a D minus for that. It's going to be an F if you open your mouth. And any, nobody remembers, huh? Anybody know? No? Nope, you're close. Keep going. St. Joe's. Yeah. And it was commissioned by none other than now Bishop Liam Carey, uh, who used to be my vocation director way back uh, decades ago. And uh, he, uh, he began his, he was uh, a late vocation, even later than me. He was ordained, I think, in his late 40s, if not 50. And yet he became a bishop. It's, it's amazing, really. But when he, his first assignment was as an associate pastor at St. Joe's. He worked there briefly for doing something. He used to like to say he was, he, he was the gardener, but I, I don't think that was what it was. But anyway, um, he, uh, he had this commission from my brother Claude at the permission of the pastor. I think it was, uh, I think it was uh, Father Gimple, been before him. But in any case, this icon is actually about St. Joseph. That's the way it was written. Uh, St. Joe's. But of course, Our Lady of Guadalupe is, the st- is obviously the scene, the s- steen stealer, the, the, the scene stealer, excuse me, of, uh, of, the, of the icon, isn't it? And with her actual feast day coming up Wednesday, it's really good to have her out. We'll put up something else after, after that. But um, 
What's interesting, among many things about this particular icon, is at Brother Claude, I happened, I called him this week to make sure that I hadn't gotten something wrong and let him interpret it for me. And I just happened to get him. He said, I, he, had, he has a cell phone because he's part of the Abbey business, you know. And uh, he said he walked in for one moment into the studio. I called, he picked it up. He said it was a miracle I got him. So in any case, most icons have a gold background and that symbolizes eternity. We can't see beyond the background. That's why they're often, they look a little flat. Brother Claude did this one differently. In honor of Our Lady Guadalupe, we have the stars that are on her tilma in the, in the original image, but are in the, in the background here. Uh, and re- you may remember now, Our Lady of Guadalupe was, this is not a sermon on her, but she d- wasn't a static image. That's merely a photograph of a living person. Uh, and so uh, she's wearing the image of Our Lady Guadalupe, and Christ is in the center of this picture because she's nine months pregnant. And the black sash around her waist was the Indian way 500 years ago of telling people, I'm pregnant. As if you, well, at some point, one doesn't need a sash to know that. But (laughs) now that I think about it, why bother, right? Um, But anyway, uh, you can see that Mary's very pregnant. She's, now, those of you ladies who've been pregnant, um, how would you like to be nine, eight point, 8.11.9 months pregnant and riding side saddle on a donkey. Ooh, that sounds comfortable, doesn't it? That's the way Mary would have traveled. It would have been a two-day journey between, um, uh, two or three-day journey that way between Nazareth and Bethlehem. And we've got to remember, too, we're looking back through the pages of Scripture. They're looking forward. I would, I'd bet you anything, they really didn't understand why it was necessary to go to Bethlehem until later thinking about that passage of scripture in Isaiah, that you, O Bethlehem of Judea, from you shall come forth my Savior. I mean, they hadn't really thought it out yet. For Joseph, it had only been about six months probably that he'd heard this, what was going to happen. For Mary, it was only nine months. And the angel, which we heard at the, uh, at the um, Immaculate Conception yesterday, said, just tells her, oh, he'll be great and son of the Most High, his reign will have no end, and all these wonderful things. And Mary comes back to him very troubled because she knows there's more to the story. She's not dumb. And here comes the rest of the story, right? She says yes, gives God a blank check. This may begin to sound familiar to some of you. And the next thing she knows, far from being glorious, she's on a donkey headed to a backwater town of Bethlehem, nine months pregnant, thank you, Lord, and there's no room for them. If they had money, there would have been room for them. As it is, somebody gave her a cave for privacy. That's why they were in there. Uh, Above all, was to have a place of privacy. Later we find the wise men show up and they're in a house, but they're still in Bethlehem. And so uh, our, our, our mangers don't have it quite right in terms of uh, the timing of things. But uh, what I love about this image is Mary and Joseph are on a journey. The angel spoke to Mary directly and visibly. That's very rare among human beings. Joseph is another way of God speaking through a dream. So in, in some ways, you might say Joseph was more blessed because he had to believe without seeing. Mary saw, as the mother of God, she will be the queen of the angels. And so they, 
they come to her as she was, seeing what she will be. And so we have the angel who is not visible to them. And again, like so many of us, we don't, we don't understand the will of God going forward any more than Mary and Joseph must have understood why. Why in the world is it necessary to, for us to travel? Yet they understood it was God's will without probably knowing why. It's a journey of the desert, and it contrasts so much with the journey that we have as, as Christians um, in these four weeks of Advent. I always marvel, I, try, I usually bring it up every year. Now, I loved Christmas as a child, and I, it's a wonderful holiday. It's a national holiday, which should tell you something, that the national holiday part isn't really Christian. It's fun, but Christianity finds something else under the tree that's quite different than what most of us will find and not wonderful, wonderfully wrapped or bagged presents and all that stuff, things that don't satisfy, that we forget sooner, may not even like them when we open them, you know, but we certainly won't remember many of them next year. You find these images, thank, thank goodness, less and less, of people going to war and fighting over, over 16-inch television sets. This, what does that have to do with Jesus? Nothing. But... In the midst of all that hubbub that we go through, we are on a journey of a different kind, and it's a journey into the desert like John the Baptist. We find Jesus in a cave in poverty. So we're looking for a God. Hopefully somewhere in your house you'll have a Christmas uh, crutch in which uh, we find Jesus in poverty. And it's such an odd contrast to this abundance around us. And many, many of our, of our fellow Oregonians, some through no fault of their own, Christ isn't even invited to the party, you know. It's, it's, it's an odd sort of thing. We had the, we had the parade last night. Um, when it started, uh, the, first, the first year, Christ, the only place Christ showed up was he was being pulled by some kind of an animal in the back of a wagon. I thought, well, that's, that, that's fitting, you know, teeny little... I don't know what it was, but a teeny little manger. Next year, one of the local Baptist churches had a float. And then uh, the next year, we jumped in. Um, and uh, this year, Kaiser Christian and us both had floats. And that was it. That's of 60 floats, as far as I can remember, those were the only two. I might have missed a couple that Christ was present because it's so easy to miss him. But we are, we're on a different track. We're on two tracks, really. Uh, one, we find Christ ironically in the desert of our lives the needs the lacks the 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 things that we are uh that are with us that we know we need a rich full person in need of nothing has no need of christ whatsoever so thank goodness we have needs that tells us we're not home that tells us we need god we need him um john the baptist it's very interesting because being born to very elderly parents, they almost certainly were not present as he was growing up. And tradition tells us that he was raised, uh, given to a community or to a, a, a group. Most likely, the Essenes down by the Dead Sea, where the Dead Sea Scrolls came from, this has come to light in the last 60 years or so. It's a, it was a quasi-religious community just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they didn't give Jesus any trouble, so they're not in the pages of Scripture. But they're, they're quite interesting. And John the Baptist probably emerged from them and, uh, because the 
the, the traditional site on the Jordan River is very near to that on the opposite side. John kept, kept himself in that Jordan Valley um, out near the desert. So people who wanted to find him had to descend down into the desert at not an easy journey and come all the way back up. He made them walk into the desert to hear him and to be baptized uh, with the baptism of John. Jesus himself submitted himself to that with his 40 days in the wilderness. And he didn't live long, and the people that were called to do so came. But many in Jerusalem couldn't have cared less. Others didn't want to make the journey. Some were too busy, and they missed out. It's beginning to sound a little bit like Christmas. And so our Lord invites us on a journey. I was thinking between the masses, you know, there's another a pilgrimage we make every week, and that's to come to Mass. We make a sacrifice. And what do we find when we get here? We find Bethlehem. And what does Bethlehem mean again? House of bread. What is Jesus present in? A house of bread. There's nothing more humble than to be put into something that has, that has particles and spills, which is a reminder that when Jesus died on the cross, his blood spilled on the ground. His body was torn into pieces for our sake. We're journeying to a place that's very different than the world celebrates Christmas. So we have both in our, in our lives, and it's, it's, it's wonderful because Christmas really is a family time. If we don't have one or we can't get home, we really do miss something. That too points to Christ. We, are, we belong to his family, and our families both living and deceased, those to come are already, in a sense, we already have a place waiting for us in heaven, but we have to reach it, and so we long for it. We find that those things which we are aware of that we need are what unites us to Christ. We have um, many penance services. Ours is the last. No, actually, St. Vincent is the last on Thursday, but ours... We have seven priests. We can't fit any more in here, so that's the limit. And it's, uh, that's one kind of need, is to get ready for Christmas. That's the best way to prepare a clean heart for God. Um, my, uh, I was growing up in L.A. There was always an ethnic priest, and my mother always went for the one that spoke the, the, the least English. I'll let you figure out why. Um, that, it's funny because now when I hear confessions in Spanish, I'm the ethnic priest that nobody, that, that nobody can understand. So there you go. It, what goes around comes around. But uh, sometimes we're ill or a loved one is ill. We can't get home. We're missing somebody. We've got financial troubles. There are problems in the world, problems in our family. We can't afford to buy the gifts that we wish we could. Somebody's hurt us and won't show up at Christmas on hard feelings. You name it. There's all uh, too, so busy that we can't pray. You know, th there's this aching in our heart for something we can't fill. That's part of the magic of Christmas is that we, you know, we have all these expectations. And Christmas never quite lives up to it. The journey is almost more exciting than the, the thing itself because it, it can't fill us. By definition, nothing on earth fills us completely. So we are like the pilgrims in the time of John the Baptist. We go in search of Christ, the real Christ, 
not the one of, uh, that the wise men, we think of the wise men and their gifts, we come to Jesus in poverty. All of us are in poverty. We just don't realize it. God wants to raise us to a, a state of being that's so far beyond what we are now, we can't even imagine what it is. But before we get there, we all must experience that self-emptying of service to others, that self-emptying of pride, and that thought that we can do it all ourselves. And that's why the saints say that sufferings are the greatest gift God can give us. When I get one, I, I look for the receipt to return it, if you know what I mean. But uh, it's those very things, that, that hollowing out experience, which can't hurt, that makes more room for Christ under the tree. And so we thank God that we accompany Christ on these weeks of Advent as he teaches us slowly what life is all about, but also how to become the greatest gift of ourselves.